Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Both Podcast with me, Ben. And me, also Ben. How are you today, Ben? Yeah, I'm doing alright, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, myself. I say we just go straight into it. We had a big weekend of football just gone and then we also had a midweek action of the Champions League and the Europa League. Yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about, I suppose first game we really want to discuss is arguably the biggest result of this week and that's the 3-1 defeat to Leicester by Liverpool. Ben, what's what's going on at Liverpool? What, why? I think they just baffled me, you know. I watched the game midweek where Liverpool played and they were able just to beat Leipzig 2-0 but then you watch the game against Leicester and they just looked like a different team. Um, obviously, uh, and they went, they went 1-0 up due to Mo Salah and then they just just collapsed in 10 minutes at uh, the Kim Power Stadium and Leicester then won 3-1. That was the most shocking thing was how quickly it came about. So it wasn't like, you know, Leicester had to work their way back throughout the whole game and point a good game. It was literally, the goal went in and it's almost like the entire team just went, oh, thank God. And then Leicester just do what Leicester do and just absolutely mauled them, basically. It's not a a good-looking scoreline, but... From what I can tell, I didn't watch much of the game, but from what I can tell, Liverpool didn't actually play that badly. It was just whenever Leicester got the chance, certainly in that eight-minute period or whatever it was, they seemed to just convert every single goal they had. Really. Yeah. Well, Alisson made another error. Um, you know, oh, adding hilarious. Adding to his couple <laughs> of other, he's a couple of other errors that he's done recently. Um, you know, he just kicked it straight. He came out, miskicked it straight to Vardy, and it was two-one. Um, obviously Harvey Barnes who's been on good form lately got a goal and James Madison all three young English players well Vardy's not so young but you know it is what it is and they all just came together and played well and managed to score against Liverpool yeah obviously we we always talk about how good Leicester are and how well they kind of I think it's how well they've run the club really I don't think it's necessarily that just that the manager's good and they just buy players they seem to have a really good recruitment they seem to have really good kind of top to bottom physios seem to be really good you very rarely get big injuries that are kind of like hamstrings and stuff obviously James Justin I think it came out I don't know if you talked about it last week but he's done his ACL but other than that we you, you don't really get many massive injuries and when you do they're kind of they seem to be dealt with fairly quietly you know there's no like big deal made about it there's a lot of talk before the game about Liverpool with all these injuries but then I think Leicester have got quite a few not uh, a few themselves and they were still able to uh, still able to put a good team out and manage to get the win and that you don't see them complaining about injuries or whatnot they just get on I with think it. to counter that the only thing you can say about Liverpool's injuries is not the fact necessarily that it's not the number it's the number in one position so like if yeah. let's say so they've got what Four, now five, because the lad from Preston, Ben Davis, got injured as well whilst he was training. So they've now got five centre-backs <laughs> injured. If you had five players injured, for example, if you had a goalie, a left-back, centre-back, midfielder, striker, all of a sudden that's not quite as bad. It's still quite bad, but it's not quite as bad. I think it's more the fact that with this centre-back position, they literally cannot bring anyone in that's of that position. You know, you imagine all your strikers got injured at your club, that's fine. You imagine all your midfielders got injured at your club, that's probably fine because you could just put wingers and you could drop strikers a bit deeper or push defenders forward. But with with the centre-back, because it's like the last point of contact before a goal, it's so important for them to be specialised in that position. Whereas the other positions, as long as you're good defensively, you're not necessarily going to lose games, if you know what I mean. I think that's also what's happened with having to put Henderson back there. They've lost... I think most games they're always losing the midfield battle because you know they used to have Henderson, Fabinho, Ronaldo as their midfield three, and now due to two of them having to play in defence, they're just not controlling games in midfield like they used to. I think Klopp's kind of system was indicative of having centre backs who can play high up, so then the midfield can push on and the attackers can push on, and it's that entire thing of the press is initiated by kind of the centre backs being so high up. And by not having good centre-backs, if you're that high up and you're not winning every single ball like Van Dijk was, because let's not forget, you know, the amount of videos you see of Van Dijk when he's defending, he's not defending like with, you know, four players across a back line and it's all very structured and they're in the middle of their own half. Oftentimes when Van Dijk's defending, 
he's normally making a challenge where it's only him and Joe Gomez left and there's like three players running onto him. That's why he was so good. Because it was literally, it was basically a two-man defence and everyone else was attacking kind of thing. So I think they've kind of lost, they've lost the start of the press. So that's why they now can't score. And then when they're not scoring, it doesn't matter how many goals you don't concede if you're not scoring it's not going to make a difference because as well if they'd have scored twice against Leicester all of a sudden the confidence goes down they're not as eager to get back into it and you could maybe see a way of Liverpool winning it but because they only score that one goal and they don't capitalise on that situation quickly they didn't kind of push on to win the game I think that's why they were so good last year with having Van Dijk and Gomez is that they always just kept possession and they were able to retain the ball really quickly and go on the attack again and they just kept doing it and doing it because every time the the opposition team went on the counter-attack, Van Dijk or Gomez would get it and then they'd go again and they'd just be able to keep hounding you and then eventually they'd just get the goal. I definitely think he's been a big miss. And again, it, it does kind of ruin the whole system. But the problem is now with Liverpool is you never talk about anything else other than the injuries. You could literally say, yeah, Mo Salah missed from two yards out and then all of a sudden you've got a load of pundits who will all go, yeah, but if Van Dijk was there... You know, Mo Salah wouldn't have missed that because he wouldn't have been nervous about losing the ball. And I'm like, going forward, Liverpool have been awful. Mane has had one of the worst seasons ever. It's a good job Mo Salah is still, you know, that elite player. Because otherwise, if it wasn't for him, there would be no goals. With that loss against Leicester, can you see Liverpool uh, qualifying for the Champions League, making the top four? What's going to be interesting is the battle between, and this sounds like a joke, but it's genuinely not, the battle between Liverpool and West Ham to see who's going to get into the top four. Because I, I don't see West Ham dropping off at all, especially with Jay Lings. <laughs> well, I think we can say that I think was Man City have got the league wrapped up and I think you could potentially say maybe Man United will get second. With, with how Leicester are playing, you can't probably write them off for top four either. And then there's only one space left and you've got you know Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, Liverpool, Spurs... All fine, just for that one place. I think I'd only I'd only say Leicester were a kind of a shoe in for Champions League is in a few months because you saw what happened last season. You know, everyone was like, oh, it will be Leicester and one other, really, it'll be Chelsea or Man United, and then all of a sudden Leicester just completely threw it towards the end of the season. But you never know. Maybe they've learned from that this last year to be better this year. And make sure they You'd qualify. You'd hope so, but then injuries to James, Justin, potentially Jamie Vardy. He's not quite been on. He's been on form, but he's not quite been on form this season as much. So, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting race for the top four. Speaking of the top four race, I think we'll have to talk about the Manchester City and Spurs game. Mourinho is officially done. I think I don't. I don't understand what's going on with that Tottenham team. They looked spineless, pathetic. It's awful, to be honest. I like. They didn't even look like. They really cared. They didn't look like they were interested in winning the game. They didn't look like they knew how to win the game. I've seen a lot of things where what a lot of people are saying about Jose Mourinho is when it works, it works really well because you don't concede many things. But the problem is, for it to work, you have to have all 11 players back in that system. And I think it's all well and good at the start of the season when you're beating Man United 6-1, you're winning loads of games, you're top of the league. As soon as you then start to lose to teams who do the exact same thing like Brighton and then it's obviously just it's it's one lucky goal and all of a sudden the team that's sitting back then has to go forward which they're obviously capable of but they don't train in that way if that makes sense so I think I think Jose Mourinho's lost the dressing room if I'm honest I don't think any of the players will necessarily admit that I don't think they'll ever say oh yeah no I just don't care about the tactics it's more of just there's not that belief in the way they play well, I think uh, we mentioned last week about like sort of Harry Kane. Would you be happy playing in that Spurs team? And I, I don't think anyone, any striker or winger, can can be happy playing under Jose Mourinho in that style. Because you look at Harry Kane would, would prefer to be in that Manchester City team than the top, the Tottenham team, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking good, is it? No, I don't know. I think I think the Tottenham team. I think he loves being like like I said last week I think he loves being a Tottenham player I don't I don't see him loving yeah, yeah. being a, a Jose Mourinho player and everyone everyone did say to be fair when when he came in is how is Jose Mourinho going to deal with a Harry Kane and then now obviously he's brought Bale in and I just don't think 
I don't think it's it's going to work for much longer. I think he'll stay till the end of the season because he's got a good chance of the Carabao Cup. Well, you say that, but the Carabao Cup was against the uh, same opponents. Yeah, but I mean, again, I feel like we're just repeating everything from last week. It's that it's that one match thing. Where as long as he's got all his players fit, he'll rest players for that game. Son won't play the game before. He might only do like twenty minutes. Kane won't play the game before, etc., etc. He'll give all his players a chance to rest, and then he'll just go out there to ruin Pep Guardiola because the Carabao Cup is Man City's trophy. They win it every single year. It's just kind of meh. It is what it is. I don't know that. If he if he doesn't win that, he doesn't keep the job. I think he he might even get sacked in the tunnel at Wembley, kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't know about Jose Mourinho, man. But I don't want to talk about one bad manager when we've got such a good manager in the opposing dugout in Pep Guardiola. Yeah, obviously they they had a double game week this week. They beat Spurs three nil, and then they also beat Everton three one. Um, I just don't think there's no stopping them at the moment, is there? Well, I mean, the fact that they're bagging three goals or more, in pretty much every game against the top teams. You look at what, they beat Liverpool 4-1? 4-1. They've beat Spurs 3-0. They've beat Everton 3-1. They'll probably smash Man United next time they come to play them. Yeah, we play them soon. I think the whole the thing with this Manchester City squad is that they're not relying on any one player. It's the whole squad. Mm. And I think that's what... I think previous Man City seasons, I think they've had to rely on a couple of players, maybe, you know, sort of Aguero, De Bruyne, but obviously with them two being out injured most of the season, you know, Mahrez has stepped up, Bernardo Silva stepped up, Foden, Sterling, Gundogan, they've all stepped up this season when needed. And John John Stones has got his mojo back, which is a big help, because it's all well and good having really good centre-backs in like Diaz and Laporte, but what you don't want to do is get into that Liverpool situation when all your centre-backs are out. So I think even like John Stones has stepped up his game, Cancelo as he was obviously already a fairly good player, but he's he's really stepped up. I just think that whole team they seem to have that Man City killer instinct back. I don't know where it went last season necessarily. I don't know where it went for the start of this season, but something's something's happened, and they are just animals right now. They're killers, you know. There isn't a team in I don't. I think there's probably five teams realistically right now that would have a decent chance of beating Man City. And it's probably Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern. Oh, I don't think think Real Madrid and Barcelona got a chance. I don't know. I feel like when you've got the players that Real Madrid and Barcelona have, it only takes one messy run to score a goal, you know what I mean? I think the only team I can see is Bayern Munich. Yeah. And surprisingly, it's all ex-Pep Guardiola teams, with the exception of Real Madrid. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's actually just no... (laughs) Yeah, they might as well just give the Premier League now. The only thing that City are going to be hoping for at this point is like records, because they've obviously already, regardless, I think they'll already have the league. But it's how far can they take it? Like, can they go unbeaten for the rest of the season? Can they win every game for the rest of the season? Can they do the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, the Premier League, the trophy that they're getting to, the Club World Cups, Champions League? Can they do all of them all in one go? I think if they can, you've got to start looking at them as one of the best teams ever. I think I think the big I think the key thing for Guardiola this year will be the Champions League. Yeah, I think he'll be really gunning for it. But then obviously he'll he'll still want to win the Premier League. But I think you could probably say that Man City are the only consistent team in the Premier League at the moment. So I think it's just a matter of how many trophies they get and you know how well they do it by. You know they could. They could have the Premier League wrapped up by, you know, sort of 35 games, you know. One one question I did want to put to you as a, as a Man United fan is when, at what point do we have to start comparing this Manchester United side, um, this Manchester City side, sorry, to the kind of 20 years of just dominance that Manchester United have? When when do we start saying that this this is one of the greatest Premier League teams ever? Well, I think it's you have to continuously do it, win Premier League titles. I think they've never they've never won the Champions League, so I think if they get that under them, I think then you have to say that they are potentially one of the best Premier League sides there's ever been. Because I think right now, I'd say there's only probably sort of three or four teams that in history are better. I think there's the obviously the Arsenal Invincibles. I'd argue that that Arsenal Invincibles teams they weren't even that good. 
because they drew quite a lot of games to go invincible. There's that Chelsea 04 side where they conceded 15 goals all season and then there's the Manchester United sort of 2008 to sort of 2010 mm. where we saw, you know, where we had Ronaldo, Tevez, Rooney all in their prime. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about the amount of trebles that Manchester United have won. I think I think there's a very good argument for them being one of the best teams in the league. I'm just looking just looking back through kind of the Premier League years in the last few years, just to kind of see where they're at. And the last time they came any position that wasn't first or second was in 2017 or 1617, where they came third when Chelsea won the league. And even then they weren't they were a bit far off, but they weren't that far off. You kind of keep going down, and they're always kind of top four. They're always pushing that league. And then in the last, I think it's the last four years, they've either won it or come second. Obviously, they won it twice in a row when they got the, was it the Centurion? Yeah, the Centurion season and the 98-97 points with Liverpool. And obviously, Liverpool win it last year, but they were far and away the closest rivals to them. I think there's no doubt saying that they're one of the best Premier League teams. It's just whether they're one of the best teams overall. I think for that to happen, they've got to win the Champions League. I think that's that's always going to be that little crux, isn't it? That Because effectively, once you've won the Premier League once or twice, it then becomes, well, you've already done it once or twice, so you already know you can do it. So City winning the league isn't that exciting. Um, but I guess... We're we're talking about kind of Pep Guardiola as a manager, but I think we also need to talk a little bit about um, Carlo Ancelotti and and what his Everton side are kind of doing, because they've obviously lost this game we're talking about now three one to City, they lost two nil to Fulham quite recently as well. Um, I don't know what's what's kind of I want to say what's going on, but it it all seems a bit weird. I think Everton just seem to be one of those teams that. They're just not. They're not very consistent this season. They sort of have a good run and then they're quite a bad run and then they're back on a good run. There's just no consistency with them. I think they are very over reliant on Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, without him, they're definitely not the same team than when they do have him. Um, but then speaking about Fulham, um, can you see Fulham potentially staying in the Premier League? <sighs> they are just so bad. Like. I know they're having a bit of a resurgence now, but even when they were in the championship last year, I just don't know that their side is good enough and the depth they've got is good enough to stay up. Having said that, their form recently within the last uh, kind of what few weeks has been quite good. Obviously, they got that draw against Liverpool, which at the time seemed really good. Now, looking back, you'd maybe say... It's still a good result, but it's not quite as good as everyone was making it out to be at the time. Yeah, in the last three games, they've got nine, uh, five points out of nine, nine, which isn't too bad. It's not. I wouldn't say that's relegation form, is it? I suppose they are. They are quite lucky that the teams around them are so bad. You look, obviously, Sheffield United, unfortunately, I think are already down. I don't think there's anything they they can do. Really, West Brom, they're only two points off Sheffield United, and Sheffield United are having one of the worst seasons in Premier League history. Yeah, Fulham are six points off Newcastle and then seven points off Brighton. It's it's a tricky one. I think I think Fulham could stay up, but I think I just rate Newcastle slightly higher than Fulham, and it's not much much higher. But I just don't I don't see a world in which that Fulham side because they're they're god awful. They're all Championship players. Speaking of the relegation battle, there's a big there's a big couple of games this weekend involving the sides in the relegation battle. Fulham play Sheffield United, Burnley play West Brom, and then Brighton also play Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean, I think we were saying before the podcast started the uh, the Crystal Palace matches are a bit uh, sorry the Crystal Palace kind of results have been a bit a bit shaky recently. I think once again they're another team that are over reliant on Wilfred Zaha. Once he when he gets injured, they're just a different team. They don't win games. Yeah and no. I think they've got good. They've definitely got good enough players to stay up. That squad is a hundred percent good enough to stay in the Premier League. Whereas Fulham, you know, you're talking about this kind of depth thing. I think Crystal Palace have just got it. Newcastle have just got it. Sheffield United don't have it. Fulham don't have it. And West Brom definitely don't have it. So I think yeah, I think we, yeah with Crystal Palace, I think they have a good squad. It's just the scoring they're relying on Zaha. I think they can probably get the clean sheets, 
and they've got a good defensive side. But for someone, they, when they need goals, they need Zaha, and that's why I say I think they'll they'll be safe this year. But I think without Zaha, they're going to struggle to win some games. And I think as well, there's always, 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 always talk of of Zaha being sold to different teams. Could you see him potentially moving this summer, or do you think he just? Well, I think I think I think he's he's too good to be at Crystal Palace. I think again, it's one of those situations where we talked about last week about the club valuing that player so much more than what another club values him. I think I think he's said it several times that he's always wanted to move, but Crystal Palace value him at like sixty million, fifty million, and no club wants to pay that for him. So I I think I'll, we we can see him staying there again this summer. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think clubs that pay, you pay. 60 million, maybe with Liverpool, for example, if Mane does end up leaving or Wijnaldum does end up leaving, that's potentially someone who could fit into that system quite well of kind of the front three just going, basically the defending gets done, the ball goes forward, and then the front three just go mental and score. Like, that could work quite well with him. He could fit quite well at West Ham, potentially. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's places he could go, but I think he's just one of these players where he's comfortable, he lives in London. He's playing in a decent side with some some very good players. Like he's playing with Gary Cahill, he's playing with Eze, he's playing with like Benteke, Batshuayi I think is there now. Yes. So it's not like he's he's not like he's got a bad squad around him. I just think that I think this is probably going to be one of Roy Hodgson's last years. So maybe if they get a new manager in, they start playing a different way that suits him a bit better, maybe maybe his career kind of gets that little jump start that it needs. But I mean I d I don't know. It's an interesting one, but I suppose I mentioned West Ham a minute ago, and we're talking about kind of the relegation battles. They delivered a a huge blow to Sheffield United recently. They were obviously Sheffield United were in in I'd say decent form for a team that are on eleven points. They'd won a few games. They'd obviously lost one nil to Man City, which was better than Liverpool managed, which is crazy. Yeah, I think we have to kind of talk about that that three nil defeat. And you kind of just have to say, I think personally that Sheffield United, like I said before, they're, they're done, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. I don't see much hope for them surviving this uh, season. There's a lot of talk whether they could do the great escape, but I don't. I can't see them doing it. If I, if I see anyone doing it, it'll be West Brom. Because you know, Sam he's been there, he's done it. Maybe this season it's too hard for him to do it. I was listening to Gary Neville when I was watching the United-West Brom game, and he was talking about uh, he, he saw Blueprint being able to defend and just get clean sheets. But I think in today's game, with the amount of technical players there are in, in in the modern game, it's just so hard to keep clean sheets. I think the tactics are, are too straightforward. They rely on players not having as much individual skill, so you're kind of defending as a unit. It doesn't matter how well you can defend as a unit when like your right back's getting skinned by like Mo Salah or something. Or like players are shooting from 30 yards out. and st- It's just not... The sitting back tactic just doesn't work because when you've got like 30 shots a game flying at your goalkeeper who is a good goalkeeper but he's not that good. I think the only team that's done it so consistently over the years would have to be Burnley. Yeah, but even there, they've never looked that promising. I think they, they have a very... They have the mindset of, we do it our way. Yeah. it's it's. I think I always refer to it as like a blokey team. You know, it's just a bunch of blokes who are like six foot tall plus... They're all massive. They all go into 50-50s all the time. You know, their, their training is probably 50-50s most of the time. It's just... I think what's with Burnley is that they always win the key games, you know, against your fellow, their fellow relegation battles, which is where, yeah, can... which is what gets them out of the relegation. You know, they beat, you know, they beat the Fulhams and the Sheffield United and the West Broms, whoever, for example. Whereas some of the other teams, they just sort of drew, they draw and lose. Mm, I can imagine Sean Dyche being a big kind of once they get into that situation where they're coming up against a, a rival. I can imagine him being very vocal in the dressing room, going absolutely crazy at them, trying to get them gassed up for the games kind of thing. But as bringing it back to that, because we were talking about West Ham, Sheffield United, and we just completely forgot about West Ham. That 3-0, West Ham United obviously playing very well at the minute. There was the penalty incident. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, no. <laughs> no but it wasn't really much it was just Jesse Lingard wanting to take a penalty which as a lad who scored two in the previous game you don't blame him but I think Declan Rice the captain he's maturing into he 
if he's the penalty taker, he takes the penalties and that's end of. And the fact he's able to talk to someone who's got a big personality like Jesse Lingard, the fact he's able to talk him down and kind of get him to show some respect almost. How good is Declan Rice looking both as a player and as the captain of, of West Ham Football Club? He's, he's looking a very good young player. I think he's just been he's been mature and he's he's in that midfield role and I think he does it very well. Um, he's obviously in the England setup as well. There's always been talk of him potentially moving to a bigger club, but you know West Ham seem to have a chance this year to get in the top four themselves or or be in the Europa League, and there probably would be no need for him to move club. Obviously, we have to just see how West Ham do this year, whether they get the top four or not, and we'll see if Declan Rice gets a move. Yeah, I'm just looking at the league table now. This is actually quite a shock. West Ham are four points off second. They've had a they've had a really good season. They've already they've already matched their tally for last season, which to do in twenty four games is incredible, and just shows you the turnaround they've had this season. Yeah, I think they've they they've certainly been a classic example of of really what in a way what football should be about in terms of it's not necessarily buying really expensive players. It's about finding players that fit a system and will work for the manager and that will be that will basically live and die for the club. I think that's why West Ham decided to bring Jesse Lingard in on loan is because he's one of these players where no matter who it is, you can see that he'll just give 100%. He gave 100% under Van Gaal, he gave 100% under Mourinho, he gave 100% under Ole, and obviously we keep talking about it every week and we say we're not going to, but with everything that's gone on in his personal life, the fact that he keeps putting in 100% shows the kind of kind of player he is. And I think that kind of typifies what West Ham are at the minute, is this club who, almost that kind of plucky underdog syndrome, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Moving on to some more kind of top four hopefuls. We've obviously got two matches left to talk about. We've got Arsenal and Leeds and, and Chelsea and Newcastle. Talking about the Arsenal-Leeds game, it, it felt very comfortable, but... Then Leeds got a couple of goals, and you thought this could this could be quite interesting. I think even the commentators were saying this could get interesting. I think the first thing, Abamyang, three goals. What do you make of that first hat trick as an Arsenal player? Um, he had a good game that game. It's very good. Obviously, he got back on the monster goals. He's had a very sort of mishit season this year. He's uh, he's not played that well. He's sort of been in and out of the team. Lacazette sort of sometimes had games ahead of him. So hopefully. Now he can just try and kick on and have a good second half of the season. But then I watched the Arsenal game in midweek and he just missed an absolute sitter. So it's just there seems to be no consistency with him at the moment and with Arsenal for that matter. I think that's been their problem this season. Yeah, I think I think part of that comes down to obviously Arteta. I think I think the reason they're doing so well is because Arteta did kind of take that hit and just went, if these players aren't playing well, it doesn't matter how much you're on a week, it doesn't matter who you are you can be dropped. And I think that's what's pushed them to do more. You look at, he's he started dropping Aubameyang, started dropping Lacazette, started dropping Willian now. Certainly, you know, he isn't starting him as much now. He's he's gaining a trust in Pepe a bit more. Smith Rowe and Saka, Smith Rowe has been unbelievable. Saka's been unbelievable. It does show that they have got, we're talking about squad depth for all the other teams. Their squad depth is surprising. It's not necessarily it's amazing they've not got the best squad in the league, but it's it's surprising how good it actually is. I'm looking at the Premier League table and they're only two wins behind Liverpool. And that and this is Arsenal's worst season or one of the worst starts to the season ever. And then well and then only eight points behind Leicester uh, Chelsea sorry in top four, which just shows there's a lot to play for with all the teams quite close together in the race for the top four. Yeah, I think one thing I put in our kind of joint Google Docs, and it might be a bit of a far-fetched thing, but could we be seeing, potentially like we've seen a little bit with Oli, could we be seeing the start of kind of a a Wenger-type era where Arsenal stick with one man for a little while? Do you think Arteta in the long run has got what it takes, or do you think they'll need someone a bit more experienced in the future? Um, I think Arteta's got the potential to become a very good manager. I think he understands the game quite well, you know, uh, he's obviously been under Pep Guardiola for a couple of years at Man City, so he's obviously learned under him. And I think in some of the games, you can see what he's trying to do and the tactics that he's trying to do. I just don't think he has the players and the squad to do it. So I just think, I think if they if they give him time, they will reap the rewards with him. 
He's obviously quite an inexperienced manager. Looking in the in the other dugout with Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds, still a fairly good performance with Leeds, and still, no matter how many goals they go down, they keep this mentality of just going, 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 going. And if they receive, if they concede ten, they concede ten because they'll probably score five. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, they um, they're one of the worst teams for conceding goals, but then they're one of the best teams for scoring because they've scored. Uh, 40 goals this season, but then they've let in 42. Well, I mean, you look at Man City have only scored 49. Yeah, that just that just shows you how good this Leeds are attacking. It's just their defensive side's not the best, but then, you know, they score a lot of goals to make up for it. And I think the, the main problem with Leeds at the minute, if you look at kind of the transfer market, how they're going to improve the situation, is who can they really bring in that's going to want to come to Leeds? Because... When you watch Leeds every week, as much as they are scoring loads of goals, because they're conceding so many, like they'll lose a game 4 0 or 6 2 to Man United. No defender in world football is going to look at that and go, Yeah, I want a bit of that. They're going to think, Oh, I can just go to a different team who isn't conceding as many goals, but they're maybe not scoring as many. So, how can they? I just don't know how they can improve in the transfer market, really. No, it's an interesting one. Obviously, Biazza. That's how he wants to play, isn't it? You know, he's he's got no. He doesn't want to change that. It's like as they say, BS the ball. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, it works. You can't say it doesn't work. Uh, and obviously, Pep Guardiola is a, a huge fan of Marcelo Bielsa, so he's obviously doing something right. And I think I could almost see down the line potentially if he if Leeds did go down, I think he'd manage a better Premier League team like a Spurs or someone and because they'd be a lot more solid at the back because of the level of players they've got I could see that being being quite a fruitful move for him to be fair Well I think you look at sort of the way that they play and sort of Man City play and they're not very similar they're very similar but I think just obviously the difference is the quality of players you know if you give if you give Bielsa Van Dijk and Gomez they they would probably get a lot more clean sheets and concede less I, I, I genuinely think if Leeds had two elite centre-backs, the rest of the team could stay exactly the same. I think they could they could seriously push for a, a title the way they play. Well, I don't know if they could do it with Bamford up front. I think they'd need a bit more... Well, no, but this is, this is the thing. is Like we've said, scoring isn't the problem. Well, no. It's just the defending. So even if they did have Patrick Bamford, it wouldn't matter because, like we say before, they, if you get chances, chances a game, you're going to score one or two. So as long as you're not conceding as many, I don't necessarily think it'd be a problem having Bamford. Obviously, they'd, they'd swap players like Bamford out anyway if they were going to seriously push. But just hypothetically, I think they could maybe give it a go. Um, yeah, I think they, I agree with you. Uh, so carry on with this top four talk. There's one more team that we've sort of got to talk about for the race for the top four, and that's uh, Chelsea. Ben, your man, he did it. Timo Werner. Timo Werner. Got a goal. It, wasn't most, it wasn't the most impressive goal, but I suppose when you're a striker like that, you just want one to go in. And I'm expecting them to start reigning in now from him. I don't know about you. Um, I've kept faith in him. Yeah, um, Chelsea are a good run of form at the moment. They obviously just beat Newcastle 2-0. Clean sheet from as well. They were, they're on a run of four wins in the Premier League. They're sort of, I think they're gaining some form under Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I think I think what he needed was, without being disrespectful to to Newcastle, I think he needed almost an easy game where he could let his players go out with no real stress and just play the football he wants them to play because he obviously knows what he's doing. He obviously knows how to put a team together. He obviously knows that the players he's got are unbelievable players. And I think the fact that Timo Werner got his goal does just show that as much as he hasn't scored many, he he will eventually start scoring again. And it wouldn't surprise me if he then goes on a streak now of scoring a load per game because he's got that confidence back. You know, he can he can be a bit more confident that he does know how to score a goal. And also, the media are going to leave it alone now. I think that was the thing with Timo Werner. He just, he always had a lot of chances, a lot of games. He just wasn't putting them away. I think now he's, now he's got his confidence back. Um, I'm sure he'll be amongst the goals. Yeah, I, well, he's obviously... You know, an, an unbelievable player. I don't think anyone can kind of discredit that, especially with what he did in the Bundesliga. Yeah, in the Bundesliga. So, 
I think just having having someone a fresh face that has come in and kind of given them a chance is good because it's Newcastle. Is it a bit kind of? Well, I look at I look at their last the form and they beat Tottenham one nil and then they beat Sheffield United two one and then beat Newcastle two nil. They're not really sort of winning games by. I think they've just sort of scraped past. You know, they've they've obviously gained a bit a few clean sheets. I think they got lucky against Sheffield United. Obviously got lucky against uh, Spurs. You could say just a penalty. So I don't think they've hit full form yet. So I think, you know, they could be a threat when they get going. And this is the thing. I think at any point in the season, if you're getting nine points from three games, that's got to take a bit of pressure off because you talk about kind of 40 points in the Premier League being safe. If you've got 40 points, you're probably you you're generally not going to get relegated or you're going to be in a good position if you've got 40 points at this kind of stage. So they've kind of, it almost feels like they've passed a bit of a barrier where they're not necessarily about, you know, we haven't won in ages, they've got a load of wins together, they're building up that momentum, so they don't have to worry about the fact that they're having to play without any momentum anymore or doing things like that. I think under Frank Lampard, it just became a little bit kind of take each game as it is, and that meant that they were kind of losing one, winning one, losing one, winning one, and there was no kind of consistent build-up of how they were playing. Do you think there'll be a lot of, like, sort of less expectations on those sort of teams fighting for the top four now with how good Man City are? You know, none of them will have the pressure of winning the title. You could just say it's Man City's or not. A little bit, maybe, but my I think this year specifically, there's a big emphasis on the amount of teams that are as good as they are, if that makes sense. Yeah. So just because Chelsea are in the top four now doesn't guarantee them a place at the end of the season. Just because even Man United, to a certain extent, are not necessarily up there. They could, they've got a chance, and they probably will. But you look at how every other team in the league is playing from about 10th upwards. Arsenal are in form. Obviously, Chelsea are getting back some form. Everton are getting a little bit of form, but not really. Villa again a lot of form and they've had a got a few games in hand here and there Leicester are playing well so there's a lot of teams like even from 11th upwards with Leeds there's a lot of teams that still could sneak in and I think that's that's why Man City have been able to pull away so quickly it's because it's like that all you have to do is be consistent in the Premier League this year and you'll probably win it realist well you think so because you look at what Man City have done, they've started being consistent, and now all of a sudden they're flying away with it. Whereas all the other teams are grouped together. Like there's only, there's only what's that? Fourteen points between Leeds in eleventh and Man United in second. Fourteen points is kind of three game weeks going, three game weeks going your way, and three week game weeks not going another team's way. And that's and easily right that's easily uh, can happen in the Premier League as well. So yeah, I think we can definitely say that there's a good race for the top four this season. And the big the big thing as well, going back to this Chelsea game, is Kepper being reintroduced into the side. Obviously, it it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a difficult decision to put him back in because he costs a lot of money and Newcastle don't score very many goals. But ultimately, it provides competition for Mendy if he needed it, and it kind of boosts Kepper's confidence again. I think that's the main target of what Thomas Tuchel's doing is boosting Kai Havertz's confidence, boosting uh, Kepa's confidence, boosting all these players who weren't quite fully on it and trying just to, to get them to play a bit better and have a bit more confidence in themselves. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think just before we go on to, obviously there was the return of the Champions League this midweek, I think before we go on to that, I might just take a prediction from you. Who do you think the uh, top four is going to be at the end of the season? Hmm. Um. Oh, it's a good one, isn't it? I think this is. It's, it's really hard as well. There's just so many potential yeah. teams it could be. Well, again, it's that it's what I've just said. It could be any one of eleven teams. Normally, you can kind of guess, but Man City are obviously win the league. That's fine. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go Leicester second. I can see Man United having a bit of a drop-off. I'm going to go Man United third. And then... I think Chelsea. So I think Man City, Leicester, Man United, Chelsea. So what, do you think Liverpool will miss out? 
Liverpool get fifth. Get your own. Then Spurs. Spurs are even further down. Oh, Spurs have got no chance. <laughs> I, like, I think. I think the problem with kind of Arsenal and Spurs is that they've let themselves down so early that I just don't see them getting any higher than seventh. I could see Villa potentially even finishing higher than Tottenham and Arsenal. Potentially. What about you? What's What's your prediction saying? What are you thinking? Um, I've, I agree with you with Man City obviously being first. They're going to win the Premier League. Um, I potentially could be a bit biased in this with saying Man United second. I think they're just... I think with Bruno in their team as well, I think they've got a really good chance. And then, like you say now, it's the battle for third and fourth. I think just for the sheer quality that these two teams have, I think it'll be Chelsea and Liverpool. I just think they have a better squad than the likes of West Ham, Leicester, you know, Spurs. And I think that will be, I think in the end, it'll just come down to quality of the squads rather than sort of who's playing well and whatnot. I think Liverpool will get third and Chelsea will get fourth. I want to caveat mine slightly because obviously I, I named my top four. I do think it's going to be incredibly tight. And the only reason I'm saying Liverpool don't make the top four is because I don't think, I think literally the top, fourth, fifth and sixth for me could quite easily be on the same amount of points. And I just think Liverpool haven't scored enough in recent times and aren't looking like scoring many more to push them into that that category. So I think, to be honest, I think second, third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh will probably, there'll only be five five points in it maybe. Well, I don't think it's going to be a big I'm gap. looking at all the sort of all the goal differentials, the goal difference for a lot of those teams and they're all rather close. You know, Leicester have scored 42, Chelsea have scored 40, West Ham have scored 37, Liverpool have scored 45. There's a lot of teams that are sort of and they've all conceded near enough the, amount, uh, the same amount of goals as well. So it's going to be a very close watch. I just think Liverpool have conceded too many goals, to be honest. You know, they've conceded more than Man City. And Man City basically start every single game a goal down. Uh, sorry, Man United always start every single game a goal down. So I think with those predictions, we have to go and talk about the uh, Champions League midweek games. Yeah, nice little change from our normal kind of Premier League stuff. Isn't what it? a what a week of Champions League, eh? I think we have to go. I think we have to go straight in and talk about uh, sort of you know Mbappe and Haaland. Yeah, I mean they're the kind of the major highlights of the week. Obviously Mbappe, just embarrassing that Barcelona team. To be honest, it was it was disgusting what he actually did to them. It, it could be illegal. <laughs> um, it could quite easily be made a crime of uh, of what he's just done to Barcelona. But there's a picture I saw quite a lot going around was a a picture of kind of Messi in the foreground and then Mbappe running off celebrating in the background. I guess the the question is, is this kind of changing of guard happening in front of us right now with these two mercurial talents as you are? I think I think you have to say it is. You obviously look at Mbappe going to the new camp and getting a hat trick like it's nothing, you know, not many people can do that, can they? There's obviously I think there's definitely a change in sort of the, the special players now that you look at, you know, there's sort of the, obviously, I think we'll talk about Ronaldo a bit more and Messi in a bit. There's sort of an end of an era sort of coming now. And then there's a new generation coming in, Mbappe and Haaland. I think it's, it's a bit sad, actually. I think, you know, we've sort of grown up with uh, Messi and Ronaldo and obviously watched them grow and we've seen their career. and But now, obviously, we've got the Mbappe and Haaland to watch. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree, and it's it's not it's not it's not nice to see because obviously, ideally, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi would play football forever because it is just so good to watch. But I think that there's all these pictures going around that the future of football is in incredibly good hands. Obviously, we're talking about the Champions League, we're just kind of going off, you know, what we've already got. You got players like Saka, you've got players like uh, Foden, Grealish. Mount the list goes on and on of all these young talents, so I think as football's progressed as a sport, the the players are getting a lot better, and obviously Ronaldo and Messi are arguably the two best players to have ever played the game. That is true. It wouldn't surprise me if in the next ten years, when these guys are getting to like thirty fives, that kind of idea, I think we'll be talking about them as the best players to have ever played the game. And I think that's just a natural progression of any sport, is that whoever is the best currently 
is the best regardless apart from these generational players like Messi's, Ronaldo's and Pele's, Maradona's, these kind of people who set the tone for a sport. The problem is I think there's been so much done in football. I don't know how Mbappe and Haaland are necessarily going to kind of further further football. But I mean I think the key thing for me, and you can you can make a comment on this, is you see Mbappe goes to the the new camp, scores four uh, three goals. So then Haaland comes and scores two against Seville. Seville. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's that whole thing, you know, Ronaldo always says the reason he was so good is because of Messi and Messi always says the reason he's so good is because Ronaldo. They're all kind of always chopping and changing of who's the best, who's the best, who's the best. They keep scoring out trying to outscore each other. I think we're looking at a rivalry that's going to last for years and years and years. And I, I can't see him, can't see him stopping. Well, I saw a stat the other day uh, to look at Ronaldo, and it was Haaland needs to score. I think it was about it was about sort of forty five goals every year until he's thirty five years old to reach uh, how many goals Ronaldo's got. And then I think Mbappe, Mbappe was I think forty eight goals a year to reach Ronaldo's mm-hmm. level at thirty five, and that yeah. just shows you how good. Ronaldo is and whether you wonder whether Mbappe and Haaland can reach that level. I think they will and I think they'll surpass it because as football moves on the kind of sports science aspect of it will move on so injuries will be a lot less. I mean I think I think these guys could could potentially smash the ceilings that Ronaldo and Messi have set. Well, I've got some stats here. Haaland's played 42 games and he's got 40, 41 goals, 10 assists. Mbappe for PSG, he's got 111 goals and 59 assists in 153 games. That's just that, then that's outrageous. That's a, It's a joke. He's at least scoring a goal or assisting a goal every single game. Eric Haaland has nearly scored on average in every game he's played. And he's and that he's twenty and he's nineteen twenty years old and Mbappe's twenty two and yeah oh it's it's ridiculous I think it's more the fact of the composure at this age one thing I will say and I, I we can potentially discuss this is once the fans come back do they keep this level so do they step out in front of a hundred thousand people at New Camp do they step out you know, in in the big stadiums full of fans and do the same thing. Do you think there's a an argument to be made that because the fans are there, the, the players are kind of playing a lot more relaxed and therefore a lot better? Yeah, cause I, well, I think you looked at that game in the Champions League final where it was PSG against Bayern Munich and Mbappe, I think, missed quite a few chances, didn't he, in that game? Yeah, and that that's when you need your big players to step up. Because if you, you know, if you, put, if you put Ronaldo in that position, he probably wins them the game. And it's just that that's what sets them aside. And then maybe that might come with age, you know, and whether they can do it in the big game, you know, with the fans there, the pressure. And obviously, because you look at Ronaldo and Messi and the pressure they've had over the years and they've been able to deliver year year in, year out. And it's just whether Mbappe and Haaland can handle the pressure and can um, try and emulate what Messi and Ronaldo have done. I think one thing you can say about both of them is... The fact we're comparing them in the first place to prime Messi and prime Ronaldo, because we're not we're not just comparing them to Ronaldo. We're talking about as their whole career goes on. The fact we're comparing them to that now, it's scary to think what we're going to be comparing them to in the future. Because at what point do you have to say that once we have to start saying, "Oh yeah, they're playing better than Ronaldo and Messi were," well then you have to start saying, "Well, you know, which one of them is the best of all time?" I think there's going to be a lot of kids growing up in an era where who are Messi and Ronaldo? It'll be Haaland and Mbappe. I think that's why we've been very lucky to have grown up in this this era. You know, we saw well we're we're 21 years old, so we've sort of you know been watching you know football most of our lives, and we've been able to watch Messi and Ronaldo for the, their whole career, and it's been a joy to watch. And now, obviously, now we're blessed to watch we'll be able to watch the career of Mbappe and Haaland. And can you imagine, if the transfer rumours are true, Haaland goes to Man City and Mbappe goes to Liverpool 
imagine the Premier League. I wouldn't want to be a Man United fan. Well, no, because Mason Greenwood, you know, he's better. Sancho could could come in. That's true. Potentially, Mike Sancho. That's the thing. Sancho's been unreal. He's he, and he's not even he's not even in the conversation. No, there's a lot. There's a lot of young players that had the potential. The season's there for them to go as high as they want, and but it's just whether Mbappe and Haaland are the next levels. You know, I think if, I think a good way to describe it is sort of our generation. You know, you look at the Ronaldo. And uh, Messi, they're the top two, and then there's there's been lots of very good players, but they've never reached that high. I th- I think more players now will reach those levels. What the same levels? As, the same I levels think. as Messi and Ronaldo? Not not quite the same, but you you think about Messi, Ronaldo, and then whoever's next, the drop off is massive. Yeah. No one no one comes close. Like maybe Lewandowski, maybe, but even even still, you know. Not really. The one thing I will say, whenever I watch the Liga BVVA, it's never as good as watching the Premier League or watching other leagues. And the fact that Messi's never moved, for me, kind of says... Obviously, I'm not going to say he's not very good because he's done it in the Champions League and all this kind of stuff. If, when he was a younger player, he'd have gone to a Man United, Man City, whoever it was... And he'd torn up the Premier League, and then he'd have gone to Italy or wherever and torn up that league. Then gone to a different league and torn up that league and done it over different leagues in different styles. I think it would provide a better argument for him being better than Ronaldo. And I think in order for Haaland and Mbappe to be kind of upper upper level, like different level players, I think they need to travel around a bit and potentially play in the Premier League, the Bundesliga, obviously. Uh, Haaland's already in the Bundesliga, but do it in different, especially Mbappe. Doing it in the French league will not be recognised as seriously as doing it in most other leagues. Yeah, I think that's why that's why it always comes down to the Champions League, isn't it? I, I think one thing I will say about Ronaldo and Messi is I think the last couple of years, you know, sort of the start of their decline. I think I've seen a lot more people actually just appreciate them rather than comparing them. Cause yeah, you don't know what you have until it's the gone, whole career. You? You've always comp- you know, you've always been like. You've been talking about oh who's better, Ronaldo or Messi, but I think now people can slowly see that they're not going to be here forever. Ronaldo's thirty six, Messi's thirty four. I want to say, and they will in a couple of years not be playing football anymore. And the thing is, as well, the one thing that really annoys me about the Ronaldo Messi comment is this: it's this is going to sound like a mental comparison, but just bear with me. It's similar to the Jack Grealish mates and Mount debate that was happening in England a few months ago. Do you remember that? And they were saying that basically it was either Jack Grealish or Mason Mount, whereas they're kind of different players. Jack Grealish plus prefers to play out wide. Wide. I see Mason Mount as kind of a number eight or a number ten. I think Ronaldo, Messi is that number ten. Ronaldo is an out and out goal scorer. Everything he does, every movement he makes, is it's like streamlined to score goals. Messi does the skills and the tricks, and he's probably more gifted at football at the feet kind of thing. But Ronaldo is just an absolute savage. He will score 40 goals a season until he's 90 years old if he wanted to. Because he he dedicates his entire life to the sport. There's an interview he did about talking about his son. And the guy asked him, do you think your son's got what it takes? And he says, maybe. But he drinks Coca-Cola sometimes <laughs> and has biscuits sometimes. Like Cristiano Ronaldo is like Superman physique. I think that's what they've always said about, I think, with this whole Ronaldo Messi, is that Messi is naturally and more giftedly the better footballer, but Ronaldo is like more hard-working and like, sort of, he has the desire to be the better footballer. Yeah, and the fact he's kept that desire for so long, like he could have retired at Real Madrid. He didn't really need to go to Juventus. He's 36. Uh, Most players at 36 are done. You know what I mean? Whereas Ronaldo, Ronaldo seems to be getting better. I'll call it. I'll say it now. Um, you know, obviously Juventus lost midweek. I think they lost to Porto two nil. I wouldn't. I would. Yeah, two uh, one. Sorry, I wouldn't pull it past past it right now. Ronaldo getting a hat trick in the second leg. Oh yeah, of course. That's the thing. Nothing phases him because what hasn't he done? Now, there's a couple of seasons where. Um, he was, I think, he was at Real Madrid or Juventus, and they always seem to lose the, uh, the first leg against like Atletico Madrid. 
the second leg, he just comes out of nowhere and scores a hat trick, and they get um, he they win. So what I quite like as well, just kind of linking it back to what we were originally talking about, is in Ronaldo and Messi, you had two very different players. Messi's kind of that number ten role, or out, maybe out wide, but more that number ten. Ronaldo is kind of up front and a goal scorer. I like that Mbappe and Haaland are more similar. So obviously Mbappe plays more out wide, but he likes to score a million, million, like loads and loads and loads of goals. Whereas Haaland is more up front, but he could play out wide. So we're slowly getting to a point where the two best players in the world are getting closer to being in the same position. And I think there's going to be a huge comparison between both of them of who can score more goals. I just think it's it's going to be amazing to watch. I can't I can wait. See, yeah, I can see a bit of similarities in sort of like Haaland and Ronaldo and then Messi and Mbappe. Sort of, you know, you look at Haaland, he looks a natural goal scorer. Like he's, he, he, he wants to score for a game, whereas Mbappe sort of looks like, you know, he's got the tricks, the speed, the skills, the pace. Um he looks, he looks like a combination of Ronaldo and Messi in the way he plays. Yeah. Whereas Haaland is more just pure goals, but he will score. I think he'll score probably just as many goals, but people say Mbappe's better. Let me ask you one question before we uh, just close off this um, episode. Um, if you had to pick one of Mbappe or Haaland, who would it be? I was going to ask you a very similar <laughs> question. I was going to say... Who's going to win the Champions League first? So who would I pick? Uh, I'd have to say Mbappe. Really? I was. I think I was pushing more towards Haaland. Yeah, I think. I think it's that thing of of. I, th- I just think because Mbappe is that kind of Messi Ronaldo hybrid, I just I, I can't see a world in which he's not better than Haaland in the future in terms of who who do you think is going to win the Champions League first it doesn't have to be for a certain club but I'm just wondering what you think their careers are going to go like almost well that's a bit it's a bit hard to just uh, obviously we don't know what where they're going to move and what's going to happen but I think it will be Haaland I'd have to agree I think I can imagine him in a in a Champions League final coming in clutch potentially potentially for Man City and even if they bring him off the bench and score, he'll score four in the Champions League final. There's been, I think, there's a lot of games where he's in the Bundesliga. He just comes off the bench and gets like three in a row within like ten minutes. I'm like, bro, wasn't it his first game? He scored a hat trick. Like coming off the bench at uh, half time. Yeah, I'm like, relax. Mm. He's crazy. He's crazy. But I think as well, when I don't mean to be rude, but when you look at him, he doesn't look like he's all there. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, he's he's a freak. Like he's he a looks, freak of he a, looks... a human being. Yeah, he he looks a bit. Um, I don't know what the word is, but he looks like the only thing he focuses on in his entire life is football. And I think that's going to get in there. And obviously, I love how this links back to me, but um, his dad played for Forest, didn't he? We'll see Haaland at Forest. Honestly, <laughs> that's fine by me. Uh, probably probably wouldn't get in the squad, though. I mean, we've got Glenn Murray. So, um, yeah. But yeah, I guess, I guess just to round it off. I think we should just have one, one final thing. I think we just need to... Um appreciate Ronaldo and Messi for the you know the last couple of years and just witness their greatness before it's gone. Yeah. I mean the fact they're still doing it is crazy. I mean I can remember just from obviously because Ronaldo played in the Premier League I tend to have better memories of him. But obviously you see videos of Messi everywhere but I have specific memories of Ronaldo like the goal against Portsmouth and against Porto, the free kick. When they were in the World Cup, the free kick against Spain. Yeah. Ronaldo just throughout my entire lifetime has just provided those moments I can remember having this is going to be a flash uh, like a, a blast from the past I had FIFA 2000 and what would it have been like 5 when Ronaldo came something like that 2008 something like that and I remember I always picked Manchester United because I knew that I could just use Ronaldo and just do everything and it was one of them where just seeing what they've done in the game it's it's, it's ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, we just, we just need to appreciate it more. And then, obviously, I think now then we just need to appreciate the up-and-coming talent that we've got in Haaland, Mbappe and many more. And I think at that we should end the episode by thanking everyone for listening. 
Uh, we're really enjoying doing the podcast. Well, I, I certainly am. I don't know about you, Ben. I am enjoying it, I must say. Yes, if you wouldn't mind dropping us a follow on Spotify uh, and heading over to our Instagram and our TikTok. We're going to try and get more active on the social medias where we, we can. Are. Other than that, I've been Ben. And I've been Ben. And this has been the Bolf Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.